All right, good morning. We have been talking for the last couple of weeks here about uh, the relationships that we have with each other in God's family. And we're going to carry on with that this morning. We're talking about this idea of connecting. Jesus prayed on his way to the cross. Jesus paused to pray that we would be unified. That there would be deep relationships between us, between the children in his family. And so we want to pause every now and then and talk about what it is to be brothers and sisters in Christ's family and to connect on a level that we were intended to connect on, on a level that Christ prayed for. Jesus prayed that we would connect with each other like he connected with his father. That's a pretty high standard. It's a pretty deep connection. And that's why we're doing this series is we're looking again at who we are as God's family, as Christ's body, the church, and how we relate to each other. And we want to continue on with that this morning. And this morning I want to to talk about uh, these things that I'm calling gates. And so if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, um, you're going to need one. We're going to get into a, a longer passage later on that we'll study together. Just go ahead and put your hands up if you do not have a Bible. And our ushers are ready to give you one that you can use for the, for the service here. And if you're receiving that Bible and you do not have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you're given. Um, that's our gift to you. Uh, we get excited about getting the, the Word of God in people's hands, and we'd like you to have that. So this morning I want to talk about the gates of our relational gardens. And now you're seeing the agriculturalists come out in me. I love plants. I love being in gardens. And so we're going to talk about garden gates. We're going to talk about the gates of our relational gardens. When two people meet, they meet each other at their gates. We meet each other at our gates. People don't just dive right into deep life-giving relationships with random people in the church. So what does that gate look like for you? That's the question I want to ask this morning. What does that gate look like for you? When people first encounter you and they begin to get to know you, what do they see that would draw them into a close relationship with you? Um, Let me give you a visual, an analogy um, to work with here as we talk about garden gates. I want to show you some pictures of some garden gates. So Mark, give me the first one. Um, This is one of my favorite garden gates ever. Um, I think this is absolutely gorgeous. This has that idea of come on in and see what's inside. And for plant lovers like me, um, I want to go there. I want to be in that gate and um, I'd be willing to leave right now if I knew where it was. That is to me the ultimate garden gate. Um, I got looking at pictures of garden gates and it took all the discipline I had to stop at some point and just not look at anymore and get back to writing my sermon. Um, This is to me a spectacular garden gate. All right, give me the next one, Mark. Um, This one reminds me a lot of my childhood. I grew up on the West Coast in Vancouver and we had a lot of Asian gardens, especially Japanese gardens in Vancouver. And they were always very conscientious about having an attractive gate into the garden. He would always be welcomed in by these fantastic structures that they had up that just said, come on in here and see what we have here. Um, They're just spectacular gardens, and I love this garden gate. It just makes you want to look in and see what's in there and and get into it. All right, give me the next one. 
This one I love because the gate is so high and it's so tall and open and it just says, come on in here and see what's in this garden. And that's what I like about this one. I think it's spectacular and beautiful and it makes me want to go in and see what's there. And then this next picture um, I have up here just for the sake of the gate. I just think this is a really cool gate and Bob Kason has agreed to build me one that looks just like this, haven't you, Bob? And that's to me is just an awesome gate. It just says, especially to gardeners, come on in. This is a gardener's gate. Um, This is where you want to be. You're going to enjoy yourself in here. You're going to get your hands dirty. Um, I love garden gates and I love them when they're very well done and they're very welcoming and they're very inviting. Now, sadly, when it comes to our relational garden gates, I hope you're following that little analogy or else this whole thing's a bust. Um, What happens so much with us in this particular culture, in this society, is our gates don't tend to look like that. Our gates tend to look like this next one. They tend to look very cold and kind of solid and not really open. They tend not to just say, come on in here. In fact, we often can't even see beyond the gate. And that's because what we do so often is we put up this wall relationally. We put up this gate And then on the outside of that gate, like in this next picture, we put a picture of who it is we want to present on the outside of our gate. I want people to know that this is the real me on my gate, that they understand that. I laughed for far too long when I found this picture and I had this idea in my head, yeah, I should put that on my gate. But this is what we do. We have this profile right that we put of ourselves on the outside of our garden gate on the outside of our relational gate that says this is what i want you to know about me this is who i want you to think that i am and it's what we do with each other and we end up keeping each other at bay well we were created to live in relationship That's what God's done for us. He's created us to live in relationship with him, in relationship with ourselves, in relationship with each other. We were created to live in relationship. In close, meaningful relationships within God's family, we have the opportunity to experience the joy that comes through the unity that Jesus prayed that we would experience with each other. We belong to each other. You've heard me talk about that the last couple weeks. And there is joy in that belonging. We're all members of one body and there's purpose in that body. God desires unity and interdependence among his children. And so if that's true and the Bible makes it clear that it is true... We need to learn what our role is in creating this unity and interdependence in our relationship. And I believe our role begins with how we welcome each other into those kinds of relationships. So this morning, I want to give you some ideas on how we can remodel our garden gates to make them more welcoming, to give them an appeal that draws those who are close to us even closer and into the kind of relationships we're talking about What can we do to invite people into this kind of unity and interdependence? There are five principles that I want to look at with you. And if you want to take notes, there's an outline that you can fill in on the insert in your bulletin. The first principle that I want to consider is this. Be respectful. 
Be respectful. And this goes beyond just a generic suggestion to be respectful people. Um, Obviously, if you're not a respectful person, this is what your garden gate is going to look like. And good luck connecting with people and relating to them if this is your gate. But I'm not talking about just being respectful in general. I'm talking about being respectful of each other's gates. Being respectful of each other's gates. When we're looking for close relationships, we would really like it if everybody else was an open book, that they had open gates on their lives, that there was nothing preventing us from marching right through that open gate and making ourselves at home relationally. That's what we want for each other. I think we forget too easily that everyone does have a gate. Sometimes that gate even looks like a wall. And it's not just everyone else that has those gates. We do too. I do. This goes back to what happened in the the Garden of Eden. Uh, Before sin, there were no gates. Adam and Eve and God enjoyed open fellowship and unity the way it was intended. There was nothing preventing their closeness. In fact, they were so closely connected that there was no need even for clothing Until sin entered the picture, and then some relational barriers were established. Barriers like shame and fear and self-preservation. And since that time, mankind has lived with an inner sense of that shame and that fear and that self-preservation. Does that sound familiar at all? It's part of our experience in life. Every one of us does this. Every one of us has those fears, that shame, that need for self-preservation. You have a gate. I have a gate. It's there to protect us. It's there to prevent someone else from hurting us. It's there to prevent someone else from judging us. It's there to calm the fear that we have of our fellow man destroying us in some way. We only open that gate to someone else if we know that we're safe In the meantime, we're not going to take the chance and make ourselves vulnerable. We know that we have that gate in our own lives. It's there for our protection. It's there for our self-preservation. We need to acknowledge that about each other. We all have gates, and those gates are there for a reason. For some, the gate may be there because we've been hurt by another person at some point in our lives. The gate's there to keep us from getting hurt again. Maybe the gate's there because we made a big mistake in our past and we're ashamed to let that be known. Maybe the gate is there because we're afraid of being controlled by somebody else. Maybe it's there because we simply don't think we have anything valuable to offer somebody else. Maybe it's there because we can't stand the idea that if someone gets close enough, they might judge us. Maybe it's there because we can't see clearly what God sees in us. Maybe it's there just because we're selfish. Whatever the reason, there's a gate. You have one, and so does the person that you want to get close to. Respect their gate. Respect their gate. Whenever someone else gets close to your own gate, they need to know by looking at your gate that you respect their gate. But we set our expectations of each other very, very high. When we're ready to get closer to someone in our life, we expect that they'll just willingly let us in. And if they don't, we sometimes jump to the conclusion that they don't want that close relationship with us. And so we write them off. We give up. Being respectful means that we acknowledge that both of us have gates and that those gates are there for a reason. 
Respect your friend's reason for having a gate on their relational life. Give each other the grace and time to discover why the gate's there and let each other work through that struggle to deal with the shame or the fear or the need for self-preservation. And think about how God has treated you and how he's related to you. Um, Many of us may recall a time in our life when, when we resisted him. When we wouldn't let him get close. You knew he was knocking, but you weren't ready to open that gate of your heart to him. You were ashamed or maybe afraid. Well, praise God that he didn't just give up on you. Thank him for his persistence and his patience. He kept knocking in a very respectful manner. Do the same for the people in your life that you want to be close to. Think about Jesus and Peter. Peter held on to his gate. He was so hung up on self-preservation that he even denied knowing Jesus. But Jesus stuck with Peter. And eventually Peter let Jesus in, even to the point of laying his life on the line for Jesus daily and ultimately dying for him. Be respectful. That person in your life that you want to get closer to has a gate for a reason, and so do you. But let it be known in your relationship that you respect that person's gate. You will not try to force your way through it. You won't try to find your way around it. You will not just give up if it doesn't immediately open to you. Let it be known in some way that you understand that we all have gates and that you'll respect those gates and the reason for them. The second principle that we need to follow in creating a better gate to our lives is this. Be gracious. Be gracious. And let me explain how this is different than being respectful. We are to honor each other in the way that we view each other. And this is what I talked about for the last two Sundays. God delights in every one of his children. Every one. When he created us, he saw what he created and declared that it was what? Good, that it was very good. God takes delight in his creation. And not only that, God takes delight in the restoration process that he's carrying out in every one of his, of his children. God is at work transforming us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And he loves his job. God delights in us and he delights in what he's doing to restore us. We talked about the need for us to see what God sees if we're going to truly connect with each other in the way that God desires us to connect. And as I've been studying this concept and trying to provide space for it to grow in my life, I've seen just how stupid I can be sometimes. Um, Again, this seems to be a regular thing. When I don't see what God sees in somebody that I know, what's happening? When I see the unfinished product instead of the creation and transformation in someone else, what am I doing? Well, I'm disagreeing with God. And that's not smart. God delights in someone because he sees the beauty in what he's created and what he's doing in their life. He sees the finished product in someone's life. And when I do not see what he sees... I'm putting my own perspective up against God's and challenging him with that. Now, how often do you think I'm going to win that battle? No, sorry, God, but you've got this one wrong. There's really nothing good in them worth seeking and finding. Not the smartest choice. Why would we ever disagree with God over the worth of someone he's created and adopted into his family? 
Our relational gates ought to declare loudly that we agree with God and his perspective when it comes to the people in our lives. We can at any time tap into God's grace to find grace for our own perspective. And then just honor the people that we know and are close to. And we've got to express that honor to them. Talk about an inviting gate. They know that we honor them. They know that we have the grace to see what God sees in them. And because they know that, they feel safe and welcomed in the idea of truly connecting with us. I read recently about an idea that I think is is great. I've been reading a book by Dr. Gary Smalley called The DNA of Relationships. And he raised the idea of keeping an honor journal. An honor journal. And the idea is to have a journal that's devoted to recording information about the people that you're closest to in life. And the information you keep is a list of everything that you and God delight in, in those people. You list their qualities. You list the various aspects of God's perspective on them. And every so often you go to the journal and remind yourself of all that's good about your friend and what God is doing in them. And then you look constantly for things to add to that honor journal. That's how gracious God is towards us. He sees those things in us. That's the grace that we ought to be extending to each other. Be gracious. Be gracious. The third principle in remodeling our gates is this. Uh, Be patient. Be patient. And again, I have something very specific in mind here. And here's what I'm talking about. Um, What is it about us that makes us all want to be junior psychologists? What is that need in us? Why are we in such a hurry to figure each other out? Why do we want to label each other? Why do we want to fix each other so badly? Why are we looking for ways to excuse each other's behavior? This is judgment. And being patient means suspending judgment of the people we know. You need to know that I'm not going to put you in a box. I need to know that you're not looking for something that will explain why I don't live up to your expectations for me. We need to stop making excuses for each other because that's a form of judging each other. And Jesus said, judge not, that you be not judged. In our relationships with each other, we need to know that we are not putting our effort into finding out what it is in each other that needs to change. We see something we don't like, and we either get fixated on that thing that needs to change, or we search for something that will explain or excuse what we see. What we need to see in each other is acceptance. Our gates are to be welcoming, accepting gates. We're to say to each other, you can come in just as you are. And if there's something that we need to address in our relationship, we'll get to that. We will. But for now, please be assured that I accept you just the way you are. And after all, isn't that once again the way God's treating us? We were welcomed back into relationship with him just the way we were. No judgment. He even said that there is now no condemnation for his children anymore. When Jesus met people, he was very patient with them. Look at his patience with his disciples. Look at his interaction with the woman at the well. He patiently suspended his judgment of those people. 
And he's asking us to do that with each other as well. We've got to be patient. At the gateway to deeper relationships in our lives, we need to be known for our accepting patience with the people that we love. Then there's the fourth principle. Be appreciative. This series about, is about our life in the body, in Christ's family. And God made this principle very clear through Paul as he taught the New Testament church about being the body of Christ. It's a principle that we struggle with a bit. In our relationships within or outside the church, we typically look to build friendships with people that we have things in common with, right? It's just what we do. And then as those friendships grow, we tend to downplay the differences and focus on the similarities. And while this is a natural progression, it seems, I know that God wants us to do more than just downplay our differences. Let's let him speak for himself. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God speaks very clearly on this matter. Paul writes in this chapter first about the gifts that God has given to each of his children. And those gifts vary. So Paul goes on to write more about the diverse nature of God's family. Look at verse 12. And we'll read right through to the end of the chapter here. 1 Corinthians verse 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning in verse 12 and reading right through verse 31. And this is what Paul writes. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. 
And I will show you a still more excellent way. And most of us know what's coming, what Paul's referring to as the more excellent way. Chapter 13 is the one that follows this. And chapter 13 is the love chapter. Clearly, God has an appreciation for the diversity within his family. And so we ought to have that kind of an appreciation as well. Appreciate the differences between you and your brother or sister in Christ. Don't diminish them. Call them out and appreciate them. We let our differences become the basis for our conflict in our relationships. Let's put a stop to that. We need to get beyond our selfish perspective that believes that our way is the only way and see the beauty of the diversity that God has created in the people we know. Our connection with each other will deepen as we express acceptance and appreciation for our differences. Finally, there's the fifth principle, and this is the one I want to spend the most time on, a little more time. This principle is be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. This really goes without saying, uh, written on the gates that we keep at the threshold of our relationships should be the word trustworthy. The gate should say, I am trustworthy, because we're all looking to connect with people who are trustworthy, aren't we? We need to connect with people we can count on, people who will be there for us, people who will not turn their backs on us. We must be able to rely on the trustworthy nature of our closest friends, our closest brothers and sisters. We need to know that they see the value and the vulnerability in us. We need to know that they're going to come through for us. But this is not about them. This is not about their gate. This is about our gate How do we demonstrate to the people we love that we are trustworthy? Well, I found some incredible guidance in God's word that can develop that trustworthiness in us. And I know this is going to be a lot of information, but it is wonderfully practical. And if we follow this guidance, the gates of our lives will scream trustworthy and they'll swing open to welcome people into a deep spiritual connection with us. The guidance that I'm referring to is found in the one another's in the Bible. I won't take the time this morning to go deeply and really explore each one of the one another's, but I believe just revisiting these even briefly is going to give us all something to work on. The first one another seems like a bit of a silly one, but it's mentioned more than a few times in the scriptures, and it is a great place to start In 2 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul writes this. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, Paul gives this instruction several times, and Peter does as well in his letters. Um, Try not to get all silly with me on the, the kissing part. Why do you think that Paul and Peter instructed the church to greet each other? Why did they do that? Why did they have to state what seems so obvious? Well, I think they did because they wanted everyone in the church to practice acknowledging the value of the other members in the church. Here at Chapel Hill, um, our tradition of greeting one another near the beginning of the service is not just some random thought. It serves a very important purpose here. We want each other to know that our presence here on Sunday morning is valued. You're an essential member of the family of God. Every one of you is. Take those greeting times seriously. Look people in the eyes when you greet them. Find someone you've never met and greet them. 
At the very least, don't neglect to greet those closest to you every Sunday. We all need that affirmation that we are noticed by the people that we love. Greet one another. Paul also wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 4.18. He said, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul was talking about encouraging each other with words about the return of Christ. That's encouraging. The author of Hebrews also gave this instruction to encourage each other. You want someone to know that you're trustworthy? Then encourage them regularly. We are also to forgive each other. We find this in Colossians 3.13. Paul writes, Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Trustworthy people forgive those who wrong them. That forgiveness creates a safe environment relationally. And we all need to be forgiven by God and by man. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul adds to the instruction to encourage one another. He directs us to build each other up. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. We can welcome one another to to a relationship in which we will build each other up and not tear each other down. How are you building up the ones that you love right now? Then Paul instructs us on how we become trustworthy people by serving one another. This is Galatians 5.13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And I know that you're trustworthy if you go to the effort to serve me. What a great way to express your trustworthiness and the welcoming nature of your gate. Later in Galatians, we're told to bear one another's burdens. This is Galatians 6.2. Paul writes, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The people I love need to know that I'm willing to bear their burdens with them. And that takes us to a much deeper connection in our relationships. The writer of Hebrews also instructs us to do something that we're finding harder and harder to do. He says we're to meet with each other. His words read like this. Not neglecting to meet with one another, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, admittedly, it's pretty hard to see someone as trustworthy if they have no time for you, isn't it? And I know this one is is very convicting. We've sacrificed relationships for activities in so many ways. But God is showing us how to reclaim our trustworthiness. Now listen to Paul's words in Romans fifteen seven. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And this is an intentional move towards each other. It's an invitation. Christ drew us to himself with welcoming arms. No matter how we measured up against him, we're to do the same for each other. Invite someone into a deeper relationship with you. Welcome them into your garden. Think about the way Christ has welcomed you into relationship and do the same for others. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12, 25. He says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. We're to care for one another without bias. Demonstrate compassion and hospitality. The people in your life need to know that you care about them and are willing to care for them as well. They need to see you caring for others to receive the good news that you are trustworthy. 
Carrying on that thought, Peter writes that we are to show hospitality to one another. In 1 Peter 4, 9, he writes, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And that's even for those of us who do not have the gift of hospitality. And maybe that's why he added the without grumbling part. Hospitality communicates worth. Communicating worth conveys trustworthiness. And finally, James adds some powerful guidance to round out the list. He says in James 5 verse 16, pray for one another. Pray for one another. We just came through a series on prayer, and my hope is that you're doing a lot more of this now. You're going to see at least some level of trustworthiness in me if I'm praying for you. And not just saying that I'm praying for you. You can trust a person who faithfully prays for you. Do you see some work that you can go to work, that you can do on your garden gates here? Does some of that resonate with you? Do you see some things that you can develop in your life that will show the ones you love that they are welcome in your relational garden? Let your gates be characterized by these things. Be respectful. Be gracious. Be patient. Be appreciative. Be trustworthy. And may God grant us the unity that his son prayed for in our relationships. May we connect with each other, truly connect as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to invite the worship team to return now for the baptism time that we're going to share in a few minutes. Let's pray while they come. Father, we are so thankful this morning for how you so graciously and warmly and lovingly have welcomed us into a deep, intimate relationship with you, to truly connecting with you. And God, maybe that's the thing that's keeping us from entering into these kind of relationships with the people in our lives, is that we don't have that with you. So Father, if there are those that have have kept you out, have kept you from getting close. I pray that this morning they would make that decision to allow you to come in closer than you've ever been and to truly connect with you the way you want to connect. And Father, I do pray for us. I pray for each one of us as brothers and sisters in your family that if we're not doing it yet, we would begin to practice what it means to truly connect with each other, that we would go to work on our own gates, the gates to our relational gardens, that we would remodel our gardens in such a way that the people who are close to us will just see an open door and they'll see beyond the gate. They'll see a reason to come in and truly connect with us on a spiritual level. Father, will you make that happen in us? Make us people who are trustworthy and patient and appreciative and and all of these things that we've been talking about. Those are the people that we want to be for each other. We know that you desire us to be close to each other, to truly connect So, God, make that happen. Help us to welcome each other in to a much deeper connection, a much deeper relationship than we may have ever known. Thank you, Lord, that you have set the example for us, that you've been very accepting of us and very loving and very patient with us as we've drawn closer to you. I pray, Father, that the prayer that your son prayed for our unity would be answered in this church. 
that we would become the unified body of believers that you designed us to be. Thank you for creating us differently, for creating us uniquely, for all of the different skills and gifts that you've given each one of us and how they fit together in your kingdom. May your will be accomplished here as you draw us into deeper connecting relationships with each other. And I pray this in Jesus' name.